Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Five, Galatians chapter five is where we're going to camp out this morning in the word of the Lord. Some of you were alive during the late 60s. It was a time in our nation that was defined by the free love movement, the sexual revolution. Now, it had its origins in San Francisco with the hippie movement and the flower children, and it really reached its apex in 1969 with the Woodstock Festival. So let me just say this about the 60s. Great music, bad morals, okay? So the sexual revolution, the the crazy 60s, free love. And I would submit to you that our nation has not recovered from what happened during that turbulent time period. What was socially and morally acceptable 50 years ago Think about today. Just go back 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. You see, this whole concept of the sexual revolution, free love, all of that that happened over 50 years ago has been embedded in our psyche as Americans. So you hear these statements all over the place. Let me give you some statements. You hear these statements all over the place. They're embedded in our culture. They're part of the air that we breathe. You'll hear statements like this. I am free to sleep with whoever I want to, wherever I want to, and whenever I want to. You will hear, I'm free to be whatever gender I perceive myself to be, and nobody can tell me otherwise. I am free to do whatever I want with my body, and the government better keep its hands off. I'm free to love whoever I want to love, whether that's homosexual, whether that's bisexual, whether that's polygamous, whatever it is, I have the freedom to love whoever I want to love. I am free to drive however fast I want to drive, and no cop has the right to stop me and give me a ticket. I am free to do whatever I want to do. And we can go on and on, just fill in the blank. This concept of I'm free to do whatever I want is part of American psyche. It's part of the culture that we live in, and it's something that is abused, sadly, by many Christians. I'm not as concerned with the world, the sinful, unregenerate, unsaved world that has this attitude because they don't know any better because they're lost. What I'm concerned about is how God's people, those who claim the name of Christ, those who are part of God's church, God's people, have fallen prey to this type of attitude. And you live by the mantra, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm my own boss. I'm the captain of my own soul. Nobody tells me what to do. I am free to do whatever I want. And this is nothing new. 
Paul addressed this issue over 2,000 years ago to the Galatian church. Now, there are two problems facing the Galatian church. Problem number one, we have seen week in and week out. It's the problem of legalism. It's the problem of adding requirements onto salvation, whether that be circumcision, whether that be dietary laws. It's adding something onto the gospel. You go back to chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So that's danger number one. We've seen it. Front and central, legalism. Today, Paul's going to introduce the other danger. If there's another danger that Christians fall prey to, one is legalism. The other danger is what we call license or laxness or licentiousness, whatever other word you want to use for that. It's, it's captured in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is often called cheap grace. It goes something like this. I really love sinning. God really loves forgiving. Let's keep this relationship up as long as we can and let's have fun at it until I get caught. Because I really love to sin, God really loves to forgive, let's keep this thing going. So what is true Christian freedom? Is Christian freedom, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with no boundaries, with no rules, I'm free to do whatever? I want you to think about a train for a moment. This is a town that has trains that come through all the time. Think about a train on a track. When the train is on the track, it is free to do what it was created to do. Whether that is to move people or move coal or move wheat or whatever it is, it's free to move forward on the track. It's got freedom. It's, it's, being, it's, it's, it's created for what it was created for, to, to, to transport. But if a train goes off the tracks, what happens? you got a train wreck. you got a train wreck. You see, the Christian life is the same thing. God has created us to have freedom but freedom within boundaries. As long as we stay on the track that God has created for us, things will go well. We will live the way God created us to live. If we get off the tracks, if we get off the rails, if we go outside the boundaries, it's disastrous just like a train wreck. So Paul's going to address Christian freedom. Let's read verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Paul emphatically states there in verse 13, you were called to freedom. Back in verse 1 of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Now, in chapter 5 verse 1, the point is don't lose 
the freedom you have in the gospel. Don't give in to legalism. Don't lose that freedom you have in the gospel by buying into legalism. Here in verse 13 through 15, it's a different teaching. Here's the main point of today's passage of Scripture. It's very simple. Don't abuse the freedom you have in the gospel. Don't abuse the freedom you have in the gospel. Two dangers. You lose the freedom you have in the gospel, legalism. You abuse the freedom you have in the gospel, license or laxness, where you just throw off all moral constraints and live however you want to live. So how can you not abuse the freedom you have in the gospel? Well, Paul gives three instructions on Christian freedom in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at these teachings. Let's look at these instructions. Here's the first, number one. Rejoice that you've been called to true freedom. Rejoice that you've been called to true freedom. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 13. You were called to freedom. Brothers. He calls us brothers. Now, last week, who he had just talked about. In contrast to brothers, who was he talking about that we looked at last week? Just immediately in the passages before this, he was talking about the false teachers, the Judaizers, those who would bear the penalty of hell, those who would bear the penalty if they continued in their unrepentant false teaching, they would bear the penalty in hell. And Paul says, listen, you've been called to freedom, brothers. You're brothers in Christ. You're sisters in Christ. You have the freedom to know that you won't bear that penalty in hell. You see, we've been freed from hell by being adopted into God's family. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, we've been freed from a lot of things. We've been freed from the bondage to the law. We've been freed from the bondage of sin, death, the devil. Earlier, Paul says we've been freed from the elementary principles of this world, those demonic forces that that fight against us. And so we've been freed from the devil. We've been freed from death. We've been freed from demonic forces. We've been freed from slavery. We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from all of these things. We've been freed from those things. But as you're freed from something You're also freed to something. We've been freed from sin, but we've been freed to a life of holiness, a life that's pleasing to God, a life of obedience. Now notice that this freedom is something that God has called you to. You didn't earn the freedom. You didn't initiate the freedom. You didn't call yourself to freedom. God took the very first move, as he always does, to call you to freedom. That's why John can say in 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You were called to this freedom, and you didn't earn the freedom. And you can't 
You can't somehow get out of God's good graces to somehow lose the freedom. And so depending on how you feel or, or maybe how God feels, you're not going to lose that freedom you have in the gospel, that freedom you have in Christ, the, the freedom of having your sins forgiven, the freedom of knowing that you have access to the very throne of God, to know that Christ has accomplished the work, he's called you to that freedom, you're secure, you have peace with God. You can rest in that. As Paul would say in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in that peace that you have. Rest in that security. God has called you to this. God has secured this. God has, has done everything in his power to amazingly give you freedom. Rest in that. Find security in that. Rejoice in that. Know that you are forever in a permanent position of being accepted by a holy God based upon the work of Christ. As Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-10. through 10, You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, you could never merit the call. You could never deserve the call. You could never earn the call. You can do nothing to get yourself called to this freedom. God simply did it because he loves you, and he has done everything to secure that freedom for you. He's called you out of darkness. Here's the one thing you contribute. You want to know the one thing you contribute to God? What do I contribute to God? Here's the one thing you contribute to your salvation, to God, your sin. Your sin. And even the righteous things you do are like filthy rags. So we were hopeless, we were helpless, we were hell-bound in our sin, and God took the initiative to call us into this freedom as brothers and sisters in Christ adopted into his family. So Paul says, rejoice in that. You've been called to this freedom. Rest in that freedom. Stand secure in that freedom. Know that that freedom can never be taken away from you. Your sins are forgiven. You're forever accepted by God. You are forgiven. Now, if you hear that message, I'm forgiven. I stand secure in that. That freedom can never be taken away from me. I've been saved. I've been forgiven. There's always going to be a danger to take it a step further that is not biblical. And that's what Paul does in the second teaching here. Yes, you are free. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're cleansed. Yes, you're loved. Yes, you're adopted. Yes, you can never lose that freedom. But notice what Paul says. Here's the second thing, number two, teaching number two. Beware the temptation to indulge your sinful passions. Beware the temptation to indulge your sinful passions. Look at very carefully what Paul says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Amen. Praise the Lord. We have that freedom. But notice what he says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't abuse that freedom. 
He uses a word there, opportunity. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, what does the word opportunity mean? It's a military term. It means to gather provisions, to gather ammunitions in your military base in order to prepare to go out to war. So what Paul's saying here is, don't make preparations. Don't make provisions. Don't get all ready. Don't, don't, don't bring all these things into your life. They're, they're going to send you off into sin. Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 13, 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make provisions for the flesh. Don't put yourself in situations that you're going to feed the flesh. Don't do all these things that are going to cause you to rush headlong into sin. Give no opportunity for the flesh. Now let's talk about the word flesh. There's a bunch of different meanings of the word flesh depending on how Paul uses it in context. Sometimes it can mean just simply your flesh and blood, that you are made up of flesh and blood, that the human body, that we're physically um, physical people. That's not what he means here. When Paul uses the term flesh here, he's talking about in the life of a Christian, the remaining sin desires, that epicenter of selfishness and sinful lusts, and we'll talk about this more next week, that war inside of us. Even though you've been saved by grace, God has not saved you and made you perfect. You are going to still struggle with sin. There's going to be remaining flesh in you. There's going to be remaining sin. So what Paul's saying is you can't have a nonchalant, casual attitude toward sin. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean you can say, you know what? I've got freedom in Christ, and so therefore I'm free to live however I want. I've got my free ticket to heaven. I'm forgiven, once saved, always saved. I know God's going to always forgive me, so therefore I can live however I want. I can indulge the flesh. Paul says, absolutely not. You see, the freedom that we have in eternal security, the freedom that you have that you're never going to lose your salvation, is not an excuse for you to rush headlong into sin. The freedom that you have in that all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, is not an excuse for you to run headlong into sin. The freedom that you have as an adopted child of God, knowing that he loves you, is not an excuse for you to rush headlong into sin. You see, this doctrine of salvation can sometimes be abused. People will say things like this, I'm saved, I'm accepted, I'm justified, I'm adopted, therefore, God is pleased with me no matter what I do. You need to be very careful with the wording there. That is a half-truth. Yes, when you are saved, you are positionally accepted by God. God accepts you in Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. You have a permanent position. You have a permanent standing. You are forgiven. You're accepted by God. But if you sin, there are times when God is not pleased with 
you and your behavior. You can be secure in your salvation and still displease God in how you live. As a matter of fact, Paul says that you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By your choices, by how you live your life, if you, if you abuse the freedom that God's given you by making an opportunity for the flesh, you can actually displease God. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says it this way. He says, quote, Christians are freed from the law as a way to win merit from God, but we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. Anyone who insists that the gospel encourages us to sin has simply not understood it yet, nor begun to feel its power. You may really like the sin, and it may feel really, really good. But do you know what Jesus says about those who indulge the flesh? Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You may like the way sin feels. It may be enjoyable for a season. But all it's going to do is it's going to enslave you. You're a slave to sin. You're not living in the freedom. See, here's the thing. You think, man, I'm forgiven. I'm free. I've, 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 I've got eternal security. Therefore, I can live however I want. Actually, that's just the opposite. That actually puts you back into slavery. You're not living in the freedom God's given you. You're becoming a slave to sin. What was your condition before you were saved? Before you were saved. How did the Bible describe you before you were saved? Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once, okay, once, beforehand, once we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The danger Paul is showing us here is that just because you're saved does not give you permission to rush headlong into sin to indulge the flesh. Give no opportunity for the flesh. You've been called to freedom, so you can't just live the life saying, I like to sin, God loves to forgive, I can just count on His forgiveness and do whatever I want with no consequences, no boundaries, I can live however I want. Paul says, no. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, so we've seen the first two teachings. Number one, rejoice that he's called you to this freedom. Number two, don't be tempted. Beware the temptation to fall into this indulging the flesh. But here's number three. Number three, fulfill the law by serving one another in love. Notice the second half of that sentence in verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, it's very strong in the original language, but instead, through love, serve one another. Literally, in the original language, be slaves to one another. Be bond servants to one another in 
love. It's very weird when you think about it, isn't it? Paul's saying the way you really are going to be free is if you're a slave to each other in loving one another. How are you really free? You're really free in how you love each other. Think about this for a moment. How often, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, how often do you look at other people, not as people, but as objects to serve you, to use, to exploit? People exist for me. And I will use people, I will exploit people, I will abuse people, I will take advantage of people as long as they serve me and my needs. Paul says, no, it's the exact opposite. We are to serve, actually be a bondservant, to serve others in love. The way Jesus loved us. How did Jesus love us? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, you want to imitate sacrifice? You want to imitate Jesus? Humble yourself the way Jesus did. Serve others. Now, we're going to see as we go through the book of Galatians how that love manifests itself. But notice what Paul says here. Paul says it's, it's very clear. It's, it's in one law. There in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This goes all the way back to Leviticus 19, verse 18. But all throughout the New Testament... The writers of the New Testament, including Jesus himself who spoke it, talked about this law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 22, 36 through 39. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. The great commandment, love God. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So out of the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Loving your neighbor is the fulfilling of the law. And then James would say it this way in James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Now let's just stop here because you may be confused. If you've been tracking with us in the book of Galatians all these months, what have we been hearing about the law? The law is bad. You don't want to do the law. You can't be saved by the law. You're under the curse of the law. And all of a sudden, Paul here says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the law. So which is it, Paul? Are we supposed to fulfill the law or are we supposed to not fulfill the law? 
we need to understand the two ways that Paul uses the, the word law. There are two ways in which the law of God, the Ten Commandments, is used in the Bible. Use number one. This is the one we've been seeing all along. Here's the first way the law is used, the Ten Commandments is used in the Bible. It is used to show us God's standard for perfection that we cannot keep. You and I cannot keep, we cannot do, we cannot obey God's law with 100% perfection, 100% of the time, with 100% accuracy. We can't do it. It's impossible. So we are crushed under the weight of the law. We realize we, it's impossible for us to do the law. And the only thing we can do is, is cast ourselves at the mercy of Jesus who can save us. You in no way can get to God by obeying the law. That's the first way that we've seen the law used in the, in the book of Galatians. You cannot earn salvation by doing works of the law. That's the first way the law is used in the Bible. And this is before you're saved. So before you're saved, the law only crushes you and shows you you can't keep it. Okay, there's another way the law is used. Once you become a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you are born again with new affections and new desires and you're a brand new person, you now have the power, you now have the desire to fulfill the law as a rule of life. The second way the Ten Commandments is used is as a rule of life for the Christian. We just don't throw out the Ten Commandments now that you become a Christian. Well, that was good for the Old Testament dispensation. That was what the Old Testament people were under, but we're not bound by the Old Testament anymore. We're not bound by the law anymore. And some people will misapply Romans 6.14. They'll say in Romans 6.14, For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. We're not under law anymore. We're under grace. We're not under law as a way to get salvation. We're not under law as a way to earn merit or favor with God. We're not under the law anymore as far as trying to gain access to God. We can't. But... We are obligated as Christians, now that we're saved through the power of the Holy Spirit, to fulfill the law. The Ten Commandments are God's sovereign, sanctioned rule for living that are still applicable to Christians today. They are still our rule for living. Now, we don't do them in order to get saved. We live them out as a result of being saved because we have a new nature. The psalmist would say in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Now, notice the wording that Paul uses there. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Fulfilled. Love your neighbors yourself. Nowhere in the book of Galatians do you ever find anybody doing the law of God. You can't obey or do the law of God because you're under a curse. You can't do it. You can't obey it. There's no way that you can, in any way possible, earn your salvation by keeping the law. But as a result of your salvation, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you can now fulfill the law. You can fulfill the law by grace. So Paul says the way we fulfill the law, the way we obey the Ten Commandments, 
comes very specifically in loving our neighbors as ourselves. Which is very practical, which is very specific. And then in verse 15, Paul gives the exact opposite. You know what the opposite of loving your neighbor is? Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Animalistic language here. Sounds like an animal, right? You devour and bite and chew up one another. Evidently, there must have been something going on in the life of the Galatian church where they were biting each other, devouring each other. And sometimes that's what legalism does. A legalistic spirit in a church will cause people to bite one another for no apparent reason. We're not talking about key doctrines. We're not talking about key dogmas. We're talking about very minute secondary things that we elevate to a status of very, very important. And if somebody doesn't come under what we think it needs to be, we'll bite and devour them. For example... If you don't make the same schooling choices for your kids that I do, regardless of what that is, I'm going to make fun of you behind your back. I'm going to gossip about you. If you don't use the same Bible translation as I use, I'm going to laugh at you behind your back. I'm going to mock at you behind your back or maybe even to your face. If you listen to music that's different than my music, I'm going to make fun of you behind your back. I'm going to bite and devour. You see, legalism can produce a spirit of division. And so when you bite and when you devour and when you tear each other up, you're not fulfilling the law. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul says you're being consumed by each other. You're being consumed. So let me just ask you a question. I can't answer this for you. Are you guilty of being that type of person that's a biter, a devourer, and a consumer? Think about what comes out of your mouth. Does what come out of your mouth words that build up or are they words that tear down? Are they words of slander and gossip and disunity or are they words of encouragement and life and joy? It's also an abuse of Christian freedom here because when you bite and devour others, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. So how do you not abuse the freedom you have in the gospel? How do you not abuse this freedom? Well, number one, you rejoice that you were called to this freedom. You live in the joy of the fact that God has given you this freedom. He's won this freedom through you, through Jesus Christ. It can never be taken away. You have a wonderful inheritance in heaven waiting for you. But don't ever let the reality of God's sovereign grace and the security you have ever be an excuse to have this attitude well, then I can do whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. I really love to sin. God really loves to forgive. Let's keep this nice arrangement going as long as I am happy and don't get caught. That's not the way it works. And then you fulfill the law of God by loving one another instead of devouring and biting and tearing others up. So Paul's word to us is don't abuse Don't abuse that freedom you have in the gospel. And so what we need to do is what I reminded us of last week is look outside of ourselves to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. And we need to pray for strength from the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to be loving, to say no to temptation, to not make provision for the flesh, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So one last word for you. 
Don't be guilty of freedom abuse. Don't be guilty of freedom abuse. Don't abuse the freedom you have in the gospel. Instead, live for Jesus and love one another. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we think about the freedom we have in the gospel and how we're called not to abuse that freedom. This morning, help us to evaluate our lives. There may be some of us in this room who are abusing the freedom that we have in the gospel by indulging the flesh. There may be some in this room who have a secret habit or they are making provisions to just live however they want because they are just banking upon your forgiveness. And Lord, we've been freed from sin to live a life of holiness. So Lord, I pray for strength. I pray for grace. I pray you'd equip those that struggle with this attitude of living however they want. Lord, help us to also evaluate ourselves in how we love one another. Help us to evaluate what comes out of our mouths. Are our words biting and devouring or are our words life-giving and encouraging? Lord, are we those that build up the body of Christ or are we those that tear down? Lord, are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? So, Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. We thank you that you've saved us. We thank you that you've won that salvation for us, Christ, and you've given us eternal life. You've given us forgiveness of sins. You've you've wiped the slate clean. You've adopted us into your family. We're eternally secure in you, Jesus. We are so thankful that you've called us to this freedom. Help us by God's grace and power not to abuse that freedom. Help us not to indulge the flesh. Help us to love one another. Help us to be a unifying person that seeks for peace and unity and encouragement. So Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be. We don't want to be guilty of freedom abuse. Instead, we want to live in the joy of that and be holy people. We don't want to go off the rails and have a train wreck, but Lord, we want to stay on the rails that you've called for us to live by within that freedom to know that we're doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, in that freedom, there's joy. In that freedom, there is security, there's rest, there's hope. It's Lord, when we get off the tracks is when things go bad. So help us to stay on the tracks of freedom that we might walk with our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.